All right, Dustin, are you ready to talk about the Twin Cities? I am. I feel like I only know a little bit about a whole lot of things, but I feel like I know Minneapolis. It's like something I actually know about. I live there. (laughs) So this episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm speaking with my friend and senior writer for Thrillist, Dustin Nelson. He's a Twin City native who is convinced that through one conversation, he can fully showcase that Minneapolis-St. Paul is one of the best, most underrated tourist destinations in the country. Twin Cities just have, like, kind of everything you want, and there isn't in the quantity of, like, in New York or L.A., but, you know, there's just really great food, and we also just have parks everywhere. So there's always good space outside and lakes to hang out in, really great art galleries, awesome museums, you know, kind of everything you want out of a city while it's still being uh, fairly laid back. And through our conversation, we're also going to be hearing from some other locals of note, chefs, musicians, writers, and more Twin City residents who share Dustin's unrelenting love of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and all they have to offer. Let's get right to it. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. I think everyone should take a trip to the Twin Cities. Like, it's super fun. Though I'd never say the Twin Cities outside of this context. Like, people in town would look at me really weird if I was like, hey, dude, we live in the Twin Cities. Wait, but that's a good question. Because when I'm writing up these questions, I'm like, should I call it the Twin Cities? Should I call it Minneapolis-St. Paul? Should I call it MSP? I don't know. Twin Cities is totally fine. Like, everyone here accepts that. But if you're here, they'll say Twin Cities when they're, like, trying to be really inclusive or whatever. But most people I know just say Minneapolis, and they mean both. Uh, And people in St. Paul fucking hate it. The purposes of anyone who's just visiting, you're just coming to one city. If you live here, there are weird differences you do know. There's some rivalry. Like, I joke with friends that St. Paul's actually in Wisconsin. And friends from St. Paul think that's a stupid joke. (laughs) And people in Minneapolis are like, yeah, totally. I totally know what you're talking about. You know, the differences between the two, people say that St. Paul is the last city of the East and Minneapolis is the first city of the West. (laughs) Well, my friend made it. I'm going to I'm going to steal something that my friend said. Minneapolis is the person that you party with and St. Paul is the person that you settle down and build your life with. I think they're two distinct cities and the people won't cross the border sometimes because they're scared to go into Minneapolis. Oh, I don't know how to get around in St. Paul, which is ridiculous. But they also like they're in different counties. So there's like different laws. For a long time, liquor stores closed later in Minneapolis. So if you lived in St. Paul and forgot to hit the liquor store, like you drive into Minneapolis and like go get some booze. All right, so one thing I do know about the Twin Cities is it is a surprisingly great music town. I know you are a big fan of live music and music in general. What are some bands that have come out of the Twin Cities that people might have heard of? There are a ton. Minneapolis is a place where uh, you've heard a lot of bands from here and maybe don't realize it and don't think of them as Minneapolis bands from like 80s punk to hip hop to indie music, jazz. There's like a ton of great artists from Replacements, Husker Du, Dillinger 4, Tapes and Tapes, Trampled by Turtles, Low, Motion City Soundtrack, Policia, Cloud Cult, Bad Plus, uh, even like, you know, Semi-Sonic. You know, we can play 
clips from these songs as long as we mention the song. So I want to specifically call out the point in closing time where they say, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Okay. You want me to call it out? No, we can just play it now. Oh, okay. You're just saying <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, I just got it. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I worked in live music for a really long time, and I still think like some of the places here, like Turf Club, are the best spots to see music in the world. And the absolutely top of that is First Avenue. So it's uh, downtown Minneapolis, and it's just one of the like most iconic music venues in the country. Well, let's hear from someone who works at First Avenue. This is Ashley Ryan. The marketing director at First Avenue in Minneapolis, Minnesota. First Avenue opened in 1970. It's an iconic venue. It's right downtown. It actually used to be an old Greyhound bus station. When you see it from the outside, the building is black and it's painted with stars and names of people who perform there. For me, I always get a little feeling of excitement when I walk in. It's just a great room to see music in. The sight lines are awesome. The room just sounds really warm and rich, like no matter what kind of music is there. You've got all kinds of punk, indie rock, rap, hip hop, country, there's bluegrass, there's no one genre that plays at First Avenue. And for us in the 80s, local bands were the replacements. It was Husker Du, it was Babes in Toyland, these iconic groups in the 90s. You've also got the Semisonics and the Soul Asylums. Those bands are all still around, but you've got more hip hop emerging in Minneapolis, especially in the early 2000s. And then you can't talk about any of this era without mentioning Prince. Prince was playing First Avenue in the early 80s. A lot of Purple Rain was shot at First Avenue. It's like over time, he really did help put First Avenue on the map. I think of First Avenue as that incubator room where locally people can get their foot in the door and then grow with us as they grow. So the entire exterior of First Avenue is painted all black, but there are silver stars on the wall. And those stars have the names of artists who've played at First Ave at the club over the years. Every star is silver on the building except for Prince's star. After Prince passed, his star was painted gold. It is a landmark. It is something that people know about. I mean, I've heard People say like they feel like they're home if you know if they've been away and then they come to a show and you see the star wall, it's like just iconic. If you're ever in Minneapolis, you'll know when you hit First Ave. You'll see the building with the stars and you're there. In this area, I think we are a beacon for people who love music. I grew up about an hour outside of Minneapolis. And I think like most people who grow up in the suburbs, especially when you're a teenager, you just like want to get to the city, you want to do cool things. And going to shows is paramount in that. We have a lot of people on our staff who move to the Twin Cities for the cultural hub that exists here in this region. And I think First Avenue is a big part of that. We've been absolutely floored by the local support. Like we've sold more merch in the past year than we probably like every other year combined in the history of First Avenue. Truly on those days when we were like, what 
the hell are we gonna do? But then you'd see like maybe some orders for a t-shirt come in. That kind of stuff really meant a lot to us and, and made a difference. Because here in Minneapolis, like everyone just has each other's backs and is supporting each other. It's really awesome. Well, does it how how closely are you plugged into the rap and hip hop scene in Minneapolis, St. Paul? There are so many good hip hop artists in the city. An unbelievable number of them from like Atmosphere, POS, uh, Dessa, Doomtree, Desdemona, Brother Ali, Nerdy, Lizzo. There's kind of an endless list of like really good hip hop acts in town. We actually talked to Nerdy. I would love to hear that. He has like an awesome energy about him. Like every time he's talking, I'm kind of like, I'm listening. Like Whatever you're saying is going to be entertaining to me right now. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, so uh, the hip hop name is Nerdy. And uh, I was born in the Bronx, but I moved to Rosemont, Minnesota when I was young. I went to Minneapolis for college. I was in St. Paul for a while. I'm currently living in Egan. All of that means is that I've been a Minnesota dude from the jump. <laughs> Minnesota music, I didn't even understand how deep it went. Other than Prince, there wasn't a whole lot of Minnesota artists that I really was like, oh, yeah, let me like check this person out. Not until later as I started getting into the scene and getting into more artists that I really was like, oh, yeah, Minnesota music. Minnesota, the Twin Cities, it is probably some of the best eclectic scene that you can find. Just off the top of my head, some of my favorite rappers, I was going to say uh, Solo Star, Tennis Sunny, Brandon Pulfit, Minneapolis Drew, Carter the Executioner, Super Michael Jensen, Uncle T, Psalm 1, Minnesota, Tuvok the Word, he's my brother, so I'm a little bit biased, but he's also really dope. If I could find one through line throughout the entirety of the Minnesota hip-hop culture, a storyline, the importance of weaving narrative into music, I think is a thing that we do, I think, even more so than a lot of people. Yeah, so Minneapolis specifically inspires me. I think the best way to talk about it was like even last year, 2020, when the uprising happened after the murder of George Floyd, like the entire city became an epicenter for the world's focus on racial justice and um, people changing for the better. And as I was out on the street with all of these people, I heard their stories. I, obviously, like I'm a black man, so I know some of this stuff firsthand. But it's one thing to know it internally coming from a small town in Roselawn. Um, and another thing to just feel the overall energy of your entire state, the entire world kind of focusing in on this issue. With Minneapolis being the forefront, just like its own heartbeat became part of my heartbeat. So my music changed even as I was listening to them and experiencing, you know, getting shot at, getting arrested, all of these different things really affected my music. And Minneapolis was a huge part of that. If someone was going to come visit Minneapolis today, I would want to tell them that when you look at some of the ways that those in charge have decided to spend resources on barbed wire and boarding up their buildings, it doesn't reflect the people. But what you will see is all those barbed wires on those fences, all that stuff, you'll see flowers. You'll see pictures. You'll see people of the city who have come through and showed what the heart of Minneapolis truly is about. And it's only a matter of time before we get to be able to replace those who have decided to make Minneapolis for some and change it to a place where we can have Minneapolis for all. 
All right, Dustin, so I want to talk to you about coffee because when we first started talking about this episode in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you said something that truly shocked me. You said when you came to New York, you had a hard time finding a coffee shop that stacked up to what you had back home. And um, what the fuck? That's just really surprising to me. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it's Minneapolis has like the sneaky coffee culture that uh, I, I took for granted until, yeah, I was in like New York and I was like, why aren't there coffee shops at every single corner? Because like, that's just what it is here. And coffee shops are all over the place and it's all, you know, largely locally owned stuff. They roast their own coffee. People just kind of hang out there all the time. Uh, there's a like really strong coffee culture here. I am Dara Moskowitz Grumdahl. I am one of the restaurant critics at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. We have always kind of battled with Seattle for the top of the coffee heap. Both Seattle and Minneapolis have this Scandinavian roots, and we like to have coffee in the afternoon with a cardamom bun, something like that. Little known to the rest of the world, Minneapolis was a shipping center. You know, all the train cars full of grain would come in. Then they would get put on barges to go down the Mississippi River. Uh, One of the things of shipping is that, like, you don't want everything to come back empty. M&M Mars was founded here in the great city of Minneapolis because they were bringing back sugar. And a lot of uh, coffee came back up that way, too. And so that's how we kind of became a coffee powerhouse. Even to this day, we supply a lot of the best coffee shops in Brooklyn and Miami. First wave coffee is just like, you're a cowboy. You're pouring boiling water that you got from the stream over your coffee. We're not thinking about coffee. It's just coffee. Second wave is that America centralizes coffee production. So things like chock full of nuts with a great neon sign over the city. Third wave was all the stuff that we now think of as fancy coffee. And that's everything, you know, Starbucks, Pete's, you know, your mom's favorite hazelnut creamer coffee. We're thinking more about the exact farms and thinking about coffee farms the way you think about uh, wineries and, and wine production. You know, that there's a taste of a specific place and you don't want to just take all of the coffee from Guatemala and put it in one pile and come out with Guatemala. You want the best farmer in the best farm in Guatemala and then you want to enjoy that in your home or your fancy coffee shop for more money because it's worth it. A lot of your ethically sourced coffees, they come up through entities that are based here in the Twin Cities. The biggest brand that people will know is called Peace Coffee. You can get Peace Coffee kind of basically across the whole northern quadrant of the country. Then the other thing is this just mega company called Cafe Imports. Cafe Imports is like all the boutique coffee in the world in America comes through Cafe Imports. And they're based right in St. Paul. It is just the nicest group of people you'll ever meet. And they drink really good coffee all the time. Because Cafe Imports is here, you know, they're almost like if you can imagine maybe, you know, the people in Florence in the Renaissance who are bringing in the marble and then Da Vinci could go by and be like, oh, that's the piece of marble I want. And they were like, oh, you're a buddy. You get that. Um, That's kind of what happens with Cafe Imports and a place called Spy House. 
So Spy House has, I think, four or five locations at this point, and you can get the best of the best. Same with another coffee shop called Dogwood. Uh, one of my other places I'll shout out is a little artsy place called Wesley Andrews. There are kind of the funky, artsy guys who are bringing all their artistic sensibility to coffee, and it. it's just wonderful. I mean, how many good coffee shops are there in New York? I mean, it's like you have to really be in the right neighborhood to make it happen. You know, there's a lot of burnt espresso in New York. I don't make a fight happen, but, you know, y'all will settle for some very burnt espresso and think that that is good. And that's all I'm going to say in the matter. I don't want to piss off my mom. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with plenty more from the Twin Cities. Stick around. All right, so Dustin, we tend to focus on food a lot here because in my mind, it is like the most important part of traveling. Uh, If you had to pin a signature dish to Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, what would you say? What would you come up with? That would be tough. Our best restaurants are, are pretty diverse and do all kinds of things. And I think the obvious choice is probably the Juicy Lucy because it might be one of the only ones that's like, this is like clearly a Minneapolis thing. But what I think is special about Minneapolis is that diversity of like good Nordic food, there's really good Vietnamese, there's really good Thai food. And also because there's a, a large population of immigrants from Ethiopia and Somalia and uh, we have really good like West African food as well. Like going to places like Fasika and Safari are just these really special experiences because the food's amazing. So you mentioned Safari. I assume you're talking about Safari Express in Midtown Global Market, which is, you know, a pretty interesting food hall, right? Yeah. When people write about coming to Minneapolis, the Midtown Global Market isn't a place you see people mention much, but it's this awesome, awesome building. The main floor is just a food hall, and it's where a lot of people get their start for their restaurant. There's just an unbelievable uh, diversity of food culture in there. Yeah, so that was where I first had Safari and a lot of other restaurants that have stepped out of there uh, that I continue to frequent. Uh, It's like a really special place and an awesome place to go if you're visiting the city to just like get a good taste of a lot of different things that are happening in Minneapolis. Hi, my name is Jamal Hashi. I am um, executive chef for um, several restaurants that I started up. Safari Restaurant, Safari Express, Safari of Harlem. One of the first Somali restaurants was created in downtown by my family. That was what introduced Somali cuisine to Minnesotans. I think our target of customers were, you know, mainly Somali clientele. And the interesting part is, at the time, being the first Somali restaurant, um, we didn't really have a menu in place. You know, I learned that by being around in the restaurant more during the daytime all the way to the night, that I would have a lot of non-Somali clients would wander into the restaurant, and since there's no menu, they're kind of confused, and they would just walk out. Each location serves a different form of Somali restaurant, uh, Somali food. Both contemporary and traditional are um, combined at Safari restaurant. The one in Midtown is sort of like fast, casual. You know, when I introduced the Hashi Burger, I really wanted that to take up, you know, huge in in Minnesota and elsewhere. But the difficult part of that came with having the meat available, you know, like basically it's made of 100% camel. Camel 
It's not something that you easily find in America, like camel farms, you know. So camel is something that we hold highly um, in regard to. We call it the food of the king. And that it was also, until today, Somalia exports the food. So it's something that, you know, nomadically, it's like it's a meat that we hold very in a high regard, and it's part of our, like, culture and DNA, basically. You know, when I travel across the states now and I go to Somali restaurants in, for example, San Jose, and I learned that they were using my old menu as well. And I, yeah, I was like, hey, man, you, get, you know, this is, those things are like, you know, it makes me feel great because it's sort of, you know, the little influences, you know, you touch in lives and sort of it's a, it's a great thing. One thing I didn't mention talking about like the great Thai food and, you know, Somali food uh, is the Hmong cuisine as well. Uh, there's one in particular, a Union Hmong restaurant that's pretty special. I'm Yia Bang, I uh, live in Minneapolis. Currently, I jokingly say we have one and a half restaurant. So right now we have Union Hmong Kitchen and then we also have Vinai, which is being built out right now. So Hmong people, we are an indigenous group of people that's from the Southeast Asia region. And uh, the reason why the Twin Cities area has the largest concentration of Hmong people is they have one of the largest refugee relocation or nonprofit organization here in the U.S. And so for us, it was the decision to say, hey, like, I want to stay here. Or, you know, we want to influence our culture. We want to have a voice. We want to have a place at the table. A lot of the food that we do stems from my mom and dad. I've worked at all these kind of high-end restaurants and they're great and I learned so much. But what rejuvenates my soul is sitting at mom and dad's table and eating the quote-unquote basic foods that we grew up with. And what I get to do is then I get to take that and translate it to others. One of the dish we make is called Khao Seng, which is basically a noodle salad. It became one of like the favorite dishes, like everyone likes it. One of the things that I really love about that dish is when we were growing up, mom would pull out this big thing of rice noodles and she would just bring in all these whatever is left in the fridge and kind of like make this noodle for us. And that that was how she raised us. Mom wanted to make sure that no matter what happened, that we always were, were well fed because that to us always translated that we're okay. And so this dish to me, is more than a $10 noodle dish. And so when people partake in that, they're partaking in the compassion, love, and care that mom always had for us. My mom's hot sauce is probably one of the most well-known things here. And it has nothing to do with me. It's just her. And every year, they make about 60 to 65 gallons of it for us. You know, and every year people ask for it. So that's why... I firmly believe our one of our mantra and our models is every dish has a narrative. You follow that narrative long enough and close enough, you get to the people behind the food. And once you're there, it's actually not about food. It's about people. That food is the catalyst into cultivating great relationships. You know, so I always tell people it's their story and I get to be a curator. So what I tell people is Hmong food isn't a type of food. It's a philosophy of food. It is truly not about the produce and product. If you look at the Hmong people, our story is intricately woven into the foods that we eat. 
Hmong people have always been about gleaning from those cultures, using whatever the land provides and surviving. So our food, all the ingredients, all the produce and products, it's going to be a little different. But the one thing that we have in common is the ideology and our belief in why food and eating at the table is so important. Because it's in our soul to do that. When you have a group of people that doesn't have a home of their own or an anthem or a flag of their own and, and they've been displaced, the only thing that they have with them is their food. And as they travel from place to place, that's how they build their legacy. So mom and dad teaching me how to make these different things. Dad showing me how the way that he grilled, the way that his father showed him, the way that his father showed him. That's what we have. And that's what we're going to use. And you can't take that from us. All right, Dustin, we've done coffee, we've done food, and now we are at the last and my favorite part of the food and drink trifecta, booze. What is it like to get drunk in Minneapolis, St. Paul? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things that's really shifted over the years uh, is that we got a really great uh, brewery scene here now, too. Uh, there's tap rooms all over the place. I mean, not quite as many as we have coffee shops, but like they're really, really good breweries that I think are up and coming. And you got to hit Fair State. It's a co-op, a union shop. To my mind, I think they make the best beer in the state. Surly and Summit are kind of the big ones in town, and Surly's uh, destination brewery is like the must-hit for everyone. Everyone wants to go there. It's a really beautiful space. But also, I think there's just like other ones that are kind of more off the wall and fun. If you go down in the North Loop downtown, there's a brewery every block that's really great for long ways. And so those are some of them I think they're like really funny if you're visiting town. I love that. Uh, we're also going to cut to Dara again because we love her. And she has some great picks for dive bars. Well, first of all, I will refer you to some of the greatest drinking songs ever. And they are based in Minneapolis. For instance, uh, the replacements, Here Come the Regulars. Did you know that that is about a bar called the CC Club that is a whopping three blocks from my house? And then if you want to talk about Semisonic's closing time, that's another Minneapolis just capturing a moment at a bar called uh, Liquor Lyles. It was very much a beer town for a long time. This is also the land of the old fashioned for whatever that's worth. You go into Wisconsin, they are a brandy old fashioned. We are a bourbon old fashioned. You know, we were also the land that birthed Prohibition. So um, perhaps you could say there's a yin-yang of drinking in Minnesota where we uh, both celebrate it and do it and frown upon it and forbid it and all of things. Well, my favorite dive bar is definitely the CC Club. Uh, CC Club has been, you know, the place where uh, intellectuals and gutter punks, you know, go to drink together for the whole time I've lived here. Uh, the jukebox, the pool tables, the quarter pinball, like all of it is just spectacular. The other two places, Matt's Bar, the absolute typical perfect 
Minneapolis beer bar. Uh, they also make our signature cheeseburger, which is a thing called the Juicy Lucy, which is two all beef patties crimped around a slice of American cheese. So it gets so hot that it like spurts and it'll burn you and it really hurts and it's amazing. The other one was definitely Black Forest. Black Forest is a, it's got an outdoor beer garden. They have imported German beer. It's just like a, a wonderful place. And it has that old Minneapolis spirit of everybody drinking together at the same place. I think that when everybody's vaccinated, I think that no one is going to go home for three months. Like, I, <laughs> I think that is just going to be spectacular. So Dustin, as a dive bar fan yourself, uh, what do you think about Darius Picks? They're totally spot on, especially the CC Club. There's For a dive bar, it should have no attractions, but that jukebox is a legendary. It's made out of friendship bracelets. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean it's made out of friendship bracelets? <laughs> like just everyone loves that thing. Like it's just this dirty old machine that everyone's had a piece of and like, yeah, just special. All right, Dustin, so I think we've given the people out there kind of a general feel of what it's like to go out in Minneapolis to St. Paul. I'd love to wrap up with a few kind of random questions about the city or cities, if you're still willing to bear with me. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Do people in Minneapolis, St. Paul like Target more than the rest of the country likes Target? I know it's the largest employer in the city. Yeah, uh, Everyone in the city acts like it's the local mom and pop shop and not a big box store. Uh, Target's like, they, they take ownership of it, like Minnesotans uh, take ownership of Bob Dylan. Do you go to Target yourself? Yeah, I do. Okay. It's unavoidable. They're like coffee shops. We got like a Target on every corner. Are there any uh, neighborhoods that you would recommend staying in? I think like the Whittier neighborhood is super, super fun. You're right by the Institute of Art. Tilt Pinball Bar, which is close to my heart. Uh, lots of really, really good restaurants. But Northeast is also a really cool spot to stay with a lot of fun stuff to do. So you got breweries and bars and restaurants and uh, are a lot of fun. All right, so like outdoor activities or sports in Minneapolis, uh, specifically, I feel like winter sports could, could be a thing too. Yeah, uh, you have to embrace winter here. Like, there's just not much choice. You know, you're either like, I'm into ice fishing, or I do cross-country skiing. I personally like to go play some hockey. Uh, a lot of people like go do curling. Well, you know, Dustin, I appreciate you kind of leading the Twin Cities charge here and talking us through the city. And this was really great. I mean, I definitely knew the least about this city than any other city we covered. Yeah, it's a good spot. To close out, uh, Dustin, if you happen to mention the song Closing Time by Semisonic one more time, especially a specific part you like, just to remind you again, we're, we would be allowed to play it. So Yeah, well, Closing Time by Semisonic. It's a good song to close out a podcast. I was going to say a department store, but also a podcast. <laughs> Do you happen to like the one part where they say you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here? That's the part. That's the part you should play if you're closing out a department store or a podcast. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back to wrap everything up. Okay, so big thanks to all of our Twin City representatives, Ashley Ryan from First Dav, the excellent chef Yia Vang and Union Mung Kitchen, Chef Jamal Hashi and Safari, Dara Grumdal Moskowitz from Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Go check out her excellent writing. The wildly talented nerdy. Go listen to some of his music. He's a ton of fun. 
And special thanks to the Frogtown Curling Club in St. Paul for contributing to this episode. That's it for us. We want to celebrate the Thrillist podcast team, too. Producers Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Emily Feld, Brett Kushner, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudor. This episode was edited and mixed by Jake Rasmussen and Peter Wagner. You made it to the end, so I will leave you with a quick fun fact about fruit. The Honeycrisp apple, widely considered to be one of the best apples in the world, was invented at the University of Minnesota as part of a breeding program to create the perfect apple. In my opinion, they succeeded. Okay, thanks a lot. See you next week.